Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Heather Conley. I'm Senior Vice President uh, for Europe, Eurasia, and the Arctic at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. It's a delight to be invited by the Atlantic Council to come join you. Little did you know that this is a CSIS alumni panel because both of our speakers have uh, spent some quality time at CSIS. So uh, I thank the Atlantic Council for bringing this little reunion uh, together again. Um, the, the topic of the panel is the objectives of the parties to the Minsk Agreement, and we have two phenomenal experts to help us understand those objectives and to talk really about the sustainability of this ceasefire agreement. So to begin with, we are absolutely delighted to have Dr. Gregory Namria uh, with us today, Chairman of the Human Rights Committee in the Ukrainian RADA. Uh, Gregory has uh, also serves as the deputy head of the All-Ukrainian Union Fatherland Party. He has been elected to the RADA since the uh, uh, beginning of October 2012, re-elected in 2014. And prior to that, he served as the deputy prime minister responsible for European and international integration from 2007 to 2010, uh, and has certainly spent a great deal of his professional time thinking about how to integrate Ukraine into uh, the West. And then, after Grigori provides us with his remarks, we're going to turn to Dr. Sergei Makadonov, Director of the Department for Problems of Ethnic Relations at the Institute Excuse for... Me. Let me interrupt you, with you because now I'm teaching for the Russian State University for the Humanities. Great. Yeah. <laughs> I love updating bias. Sorry, sorry. No, no, this. I'm yeah. so glad you do. Associate yeah. Professor at the Department of... Re uh, no, regional stu regional studies and foreign policy, yeah. And foreign yeah, policy yeah, yeah, at yeah. the Russian State University for, for the, the humanities. Yeah. humanities. Exactly. But Sergei is a prolific writer on the North Caucasus and someone we turn to constantly to help us understand uh, those dynamics. So, Sergei, thank you for that update. I appreciate that. And without further ado, let me turn the floor over to Gregory for his comments. Thank you very much, and thank you for uh, reminding us uh, um, that uh, we have. Uh, uh, spent some valuable time at the CSIS, and I'm very honored to be today at the Atlantic Council. I think a very dynamic institute with the uh, program dedicated uh, to Ukraine, which is an important part of the efforts not to allow uh, Ukraine uh, to be lost from the radar screens. And uh, as I'm speaking today now, I'm probably the only one in this audience, if not, please correct me, who was born and spent uh, almost half of my uh, life in Donetsk. So this is my uh, home town. And there are two places called Donetsk. One in Ukraine, which is the capital of Donbas, a city that used to be with more than one million inhabitants. And there is this small town called Don uh, Donetsk on the Russian side, just 15 or 20 minutes walking distance from the border. This town now is known as a place uh, where the show trial on Nadezhda Savchenko is going on. So we have two Donetsks, but uh, with a different, uh, probably, fate. And I want to, also today, I cannot but mention that uh, while Minsk is not about Crimea, we have to uh, not to allow to of Crimea illegal annexation being uh, forgotten, especially uh, when the Russian leadership is trying to show uh, that it, this is the case. 
But now let me address the Minsk, the expectations, the organizing idea. And I uh, very much appreciate that Sergei would be able to, to present his view uh, as a very much respected uh, academician of the regional and the regionalism issue in what is used to be called post-Soviet space. But I agree with Sergei when he mentioned in one of his publications, there is no such thing anymore like a post-Soviet space. I believe this is a very important uh, uh, observation which I totally share. Um, the organizing idea of Minsk. We believe that Minsk was not about peace. Minsk was not about war. Minsk is about neither war nor peace. This is a hybrid arrangement, hybrid process, hybrid format, which fits perfectly to the phenomena of the hybrid war, which is also not exactly a classical war. We have to keep this in mind to be very clear about the expectations of the party. And I would like also to refer to the assessment of Minsk by a very reputable British uh, diplomat who spent a lot of his career in uh, Brussels, working for Mr. Solana and others, who said in most recent commentary to the Financial Times that uh, text of the Minsk is so unclear as to be almost unintelligible. A year later, none of it has been implemented. So the question we could and should ask, how one could implement what is unintelligible? One could refer this, but this is a famous European constructive ambiguity exercise. Yes, sometimes constructive ambiguity uh, is helpful. But this is, Minsk, is the case of uh, destructive ambiguity. Because if the goal of the Minsk process is peace, this is one thing. But we believe that it's neither peace nor war. In some offices, both in Washington and in Europe, when you go to uh, some diplomats in their offices, you see on the, on the wall a sign that reads, keep calm and love Minsk. <laughs> so I prefer if I would come within this issue, conflict we are talking about, another sign, keep calm and love Budapest, meaning Budapest Memorandum. That would be, I think, a much more consistent with the intention to address the conflict, which is not about Donbass, which is not about Ukraine. It is about Europe, it is about United States, it's about Russia, and it's about leadership in the world, which is changing very quickly. If this is about the leadership. I think the important uh, point to address is to what extent and who exercises the leadership within the Minsk process. The previous panel tried to answer this question, 
with a mixed result. But I think the agreement was, and I support this, that this, it is a pity that uh, neither United States nor European Union are present in the table. And I also would like to agree with the point uh, Sergei made in one of his uh, articles that without the United States present in the negotiating table, it would be, I quote you, all uh, negotiating formats between EU, Russia, and Ukraine without the United States cannot be efficient. I respect and totally support this point of view, and this is also part of the answer if Minsk is not delivering, and it's difficult to expect it to deliver, then what should be done beyond Minsk? Of course, we will not be able to provide an answer now, but I believe we have to keep this in mind. Come closer to the Minsk. If you read Minsk attentively, so you cannot leave it without an impression that according to Minsk, to its letter, there are two sides that are supposed to find a compromise. The one side is the Ukrainian government, and the other side is self-proclaimed leaders of Donbass. Because Russia, within the context of Russian reading of Minsk, France and Germany are not sites. They are in the interpretation either mediators or sometime, sometimes definition of guarantors, especially after the Paris meeting used, invoking the so-called Paris guarantees on the Minsk implementation. Frankly, I don't know what does it mean, but clearly it's positioning three out of four leaders within the Minsk context as a mediators or guarantors. So, which means, by definition, that if Russia does not consider itself part of the conflict, then it does not feel that it has an obligation to fulfill. And then it comes to the neuralgic point, the major neuralgic point of the root cause of the conflict. Whether it is the root cause of this conflict is internal, domestic, or it's external. I firmly believe that it is external. That's why the issue of border is so sensitive. And that's why the Minsk II was strongly and rightly criticized that they didn't address the issue of the external border at the first place. Now what we have, in addition to this, misplacing root cause and then creating a hybrid framework that aimed neither solving the issue of war or peace, but to perpetual instability, then we come to uh, a question, what's the plan? How to move out of this mess? So which is the right issue to ask, especially that after these years, we have almost 10,000 dead, almost 2 million internally displaced persons in Ukraine, and many people who feel that they don't have a future. This is the most difficult 
issue to answer. One could continue to repeat mantra, Minsk is the only game in a town. There is no alternative to Minsk. Yeah, probably for operational purposes, it has some value to concentrate, to give a benefit of the doubt, and try to extract from Minsk what it could deliver. And I think we have to be very serious about what Minsk could deliver or would not. The original sin or Achilles heel of Minsk was putting in one basket two things that's always better to keep separately. Security-driven agenda, namely ceasefire, withdrawal of troops, weapons, and the monitoring and verification of that security-driven agenda. But in addition to this obvious security package, package that involves and aims the ambition of this package to reach a comprehensive peaceful solution has been intertwined in a very haphazard, unintelligent way into the Minsk text. So we have two in one. And now we are both, well, both, no, three of us at least in this panel, are hostages of this destructive ambiguity when security package and the political package aimed to the search of the comprehensive peaceful solution were put in one basket. So my point, and I would stop at this page, I think we could extract most of, from the Minsk when we really try to extract what the Minsk should be about. It's about security, it's about ceasefire, and it's about delivering, uh, stopping killing people. So, but then we should come to a separate issue, how to reach a comprehensive peaceful solution. And we should address with the whole responsibility the issue of the root cause and what needs to be done internally to support when and if this, the root cause will be addressed in the most efficient way. Thank you, Gregory. Those are wonderful comments. Sergey. Thank you, Heather. First of all, let me express my sincere gratitude for having me here as a contributor. I am glad uh, our today panel is a community of uh, former and current CSIS persons. I spent more than three years at CSIS, been visiting fellow at Russia-Eurasia program. It was a very prolific time to have discussion, exchange, and so on. But for the uh, two latest years, at least, we have a clear lack of dialogues. We have different monologues in Russia, in the West, Ukraine, three at least monologues, not dialogues. This is why thank you so much. At the same time, uh, this panel today, we have uh, the other community, uh, my uh, distinguished uh, uh, colleague, Grigory, mentioned uh, his uh, uh, biography, career development with Donbass. I'm from Rostov-on-Don. I was was born there in 1972, and my first They're neighbors. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> of course, yes. And uh, my first uh, trip to Donbass was paid at the age of three and a half years. My first trip to Moscow, in comparison, was paid at the age of 13. This is why I know well situation in Donbass, in particular, in Ukraine in general. Uh, what's point of agreements and disagreements? Uh, first point of agreement, of course. I uh, completely agree with Grigory that uh, Minsk agreement is uh, not enough to 
resolve the Ukrainian crisis uh, and, and the conflict. As for Russian objectives in the Ukrainian crisis, in my mind, they uh, split it into uh, three basic dimensions. The first one is about not Ukraine, not Russia. My second point of agreement with Grigory, it's about European security and European leadership. Because before the uh, Ukrainian, uh, Ukrainian crisis uh, of 2013, 2014 and uh, afterwards uh, didn't discover tensions between the West and Russia. It sharpened contradictions, tensions and so on. They were, and there are, of course, uh, about European security. And, uh, of course, Russia could not agree with European security identified like NATO security and EU security, like process of consistent enlargement of NATO towards Russian borders with no taking into serious account Russian concerns, of course. Before 2014, Russia pretended to be part of the Western world. Russia did a lot to be integrated. After situation changed, and now I am not sure what direction will be dominating in mid-term, short-term perspective, but it was failure of hopes to be part of the Western world, of civilized world. Our opinion, opinion of Russia, was very different uh, from the West uh, in terms of estimate of results of the Cold War. Because Russia perceived this uh, result like a personal decision to uh, give up burden of the uh, arms raisings and so on. But the West uh, considered the same situation like victory. And uh, coming from the first set to the second, the second set Crimea, of course, it's not only Russian-Ukrainian tensions, of course. It's about identity. It's about uh, development of the post-Soviet space. And one of my provocative thesis, intellectually, of course. It doesn't exist. Uh, uh, excuse me. Let me a little bit correct you. Uh, yeah, I, I, re I really wrote an article, uh, Goodbye Post-Soviet Space. I told about fragmentation and change of the post-Soviet space. After Crimea, after Donbass, this post-Soviet space became different from previous one. But it doesn't mean it doesn't exist right now, because uh, we, uh, all former USSR republics, are united by the agenda addressing to the past. Decommunization, communization, Stalin legacy, borders established in the Soviet time artificially, and, and, and so on, so on. We could not overcome this agenda. Until nowadays, the USSR collapse as a historical process, not judicial process, is not completely finished. Because we have disputed identities, contested sovereignties, self-proclaimed entities, and so on, so on. And it's not only about Russian intervention level view. I'm not Russian official, of course, I'm not ready, and I'm not going to deny the Russian intervention both in Crimea and Donbass. It would be naive, at least. But it's necessary to understand that these uh, situations, both situations, have a different uh, or uh, various dimensions. I'm repeating once again about identity. Because Crimea now is not handkerchief, which you could uh, take from one pocket and to put to another one. There is opinion of two million people living there who received Russian passport and so on. It's impossible to ignore. It's not bad, it's not good. It's necessary to understand, to take it into the serious account. We can discuss about particularities, commonalities between Donbass, Crimea, Abkhazia, and so on, but it's necessary to understand also opinions of people living on the, on the ground. They could be right, they could be wrong. 
but it's necessary at least to understand the situation. The set uh, number two is about Crimea. The set number three about Donbass. Let me clarify this um, uh, situation, the position of uh, Russia and situation around Minsk. You know very uh, well-known truism maybe that policy is an art of opportunities or po possibilities of possible approach. Of course, Minsk, uh, Minsk agreement is not the best solution. It contains a lot of contradictions. Me and my students make exercises. We read these documents, updated Madrid principles. I prefer in my classes to address to sources to understand what, what, what we mean, speaking about Minsk, because many people uh, uh, repeat like mantra that no alternatives uh, to Minsk and so on, but they uh, didn't really read uh, these documents. A lot of contradiction. On one side, uh, restoration of uh, Ukrainian control over Donbass border, and uh, the other point uh, about comprehensive resolution of political resolution of this conflict, and no mechanism. Which point would be first, which would be second? No order. No clear procedure, you know, that democracy is a procedure, first of all. But it's necessary to understand that this situation reflects a balance of forces in the region and outside of Donbass in European security, because all sides have maximalist requirements. Maximalistki planki in Russian, yeah? Maximalist requirements, demands. For Ukrainian side, they're sweeping out separatist and repetition of Serbian Kraina case is an option. It's not my uh, conspiracy theories and so on. Many officials, including Yuri Lutsenko, openly said that Serbian Ukraine is a pattern, by the way. The problem of uh, Russian officials, they are good students. They learned uh, brilliantly uh, lessons from the Balkans, when unilateral approach was dominant. And Russia considers Crimea and Donbass not like something unique, but something like event within chain of events. Because annexation is a method of change of the borders. In the case of Kosovo, of course, no annexation. Kosovo didn't become 51st state of the United States or province of Albania. But let's imagine that US NATO didn't intervene militarily in this situation. I'm not sure that Albanians would be successful. The same with Croats. If Croats wouldn't be supported by Helmut Kohl, who mentioned necessary divorce between two nations who uh, didn't love each other, uh, excuse me, maybe we would discuss the other Yugoslavian scenario and so on. No annexation, of course, but there was change of the borders, using military force and so on and so on. Because for Russia, what's the red line in Donbass? No sweeping separatist and military defeat. Any other options? Yes, let's discuss. Because Russia is not happy and would not be happy to have Donbass as a part of Russia. Unlike Transnistria, it's territory with uh, about 4 million people population. About 60% of them are pensioners. Now we uh, suffer from the crisis. Of course, uh, our economy is not uh, looking like Obama said. It's not quite true. But uh, we also have a lot of troubles. And 60% uh, of Donbass pensioners uh, would not be great happiness for Russia, of course. But uh, Russia considers uh, the Donbass situation like um, something similar to Greater Bosnia, like counterweight to Ukrainian desires to be part of European Union, NATO, and so on. And Donbass is considered like counterbalance, counterweight. 
Uh, as for the West, of course, uh, the West is not happy from uh, the Russian activities uh, in Ukraine and the post-Soviet space. It's perceived like resovietization. Of course, it's not about ideology. Uh, Russia is not building communism, uh, is not ready to export communist values uh, all over the world and, and, and so on. But it's about competition in Eurasia. You know that doctrine of Wolfowitz, Wolfowitz doctrine, was not denied and was not confirmed at the same time. It was about Eurasian competitors to United States. Nothing personal. I understand your United States reason in this conflict. It's not about Russophobia. It's not about anti-Putinism and so on. It's about precedent. Because American people are brought up on the Anglo-Saxon law, yes? It's about precedence. If Russia could create unilateral precedent of reconsidering of former USSR borders, who knows? What's about China to, to, tomorrow? What's about India? Maybe India tomorrow would annex Bangladesh and, and so on. Who knows? Or uh, Turkey will proclaim Northern Cyprus like new uh, uh, Il province of uh, Turkey in the framework of new Asmanism, new Atamanism, and, and so on. Who knows? This is why it's kind of uh, insurance of the United States. I understand the reasons. And at the, at the same time, it's necessary to understand Russian reasons, because uh, the post-Soviet space is not uh, something about imperial revival or Soviet revival. Many problems in the post-Soviet space have uh, direct influence on the Russian domestic agenda. If we deployed 80% of our Black Sea fleet in Sebastopol, it was not about Stalin. It was not about Ushakov and Suvorov. Ushakov and Suvorov were not completely stupid guys, of course, choosing uh, Sebastopol Haven like a haven for the Russian Black Sea Fleet. It was true. You can say that your uh, Black Sea Fleet uh, is weaker than even the weakest uh, US uh, naval fleet. Yes, of course. But speaking, uh, let me uh, transfer to Russian. It's, it's better to uh, <laughs> represent adequate uh, Ситуация. Дурак не дурак, но свою пятерку в день имею. Yes, uh, maybe I'm not completely stupid or completely stupid, but I have my five dollar every day. Rubles. Rubles, yeah. For five dollars, five rubles, yeah. That exchange rate's a little hard. Right okay, uh, and uh, this this base uh, played a significant role in the some regional conflicts like civil war in Georgia in 1993 or situation in uh, 2008 for five days war. This is why yes, it's important. And Minsk agreement reflects uh, maybe uh, impossibility to uh, realize maximalist requirements of different sides. Yes, then wise guys would be happy from uh, repetition of Abkhaz scenario or South Ossetian scenario or maybe multiplication of Crimean experience. Uh, Kremlin uh, could not agree with this position and so on. Every side engaged in the conflict uh, had and had maximalist requirement. And Minsk reflects this one. Yeah, it's uh, maybe a compromise. Compromise ensuring maybe a decrease of the hostilities, but not resolution, of course. And as for resolution, and uh, coming back to uh, the uh, main question uh, of your uh, round table, uh, I'm not sure that Minsk agreement itself with uh, no taking into account wider contracts would uh, be a sustainable way to the resolution. My third point of agreement with Grigory about uh, 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 Ukrainian crisis, about resolution of, the, uh, of this conflict, uh, of course, uh, conflict in Donbass is a, a separate case. It's a private case of wider problems. 
And uh, in my mind, it's easier to uh, maybe not stop to decrease hostilities, maybe stop hostilities to uh, launch ceasefire, to, to freeze the conflict. But from time to time, we would come back to the problem of the Russian engagement in the European security. We heard a lot of words about Cold War, Cold War legacy. In my mind, after the end of the Cold War, principles proclaimed by Lord Ismay, U.S. in, Germany down, Russia out, are still alive. Not uh, changing the situation, we will reproduce problems like South Ossetia, Abkhazia, Donbass, everywhere. This is why it's necessary to discuss the uh, role of Russia in the European security architecture, the engagement of Russia. I'm not so naive thinking that Russia would be part of NATO or European Union, not of course. But it's necessary to uh, launch format when arguments of NATO or European Union or the West in general would be equal than Russian concerns and so on. And results of the European security and future of the European security architecture would be a result of compromises between two sides. Not like format teachers, students. It's a key prerequisite for the Ukrainian crisis, for the Georgian crisis, and so on. And not liquidating key prerequisite. Of course, we would make very tactical progress. And of course, the, uh, one more uh, point uh, about identities. Because we are ready to uh, repeat like mantra words about territorial integrity of Ukraine, Georgia, Moldova, and so on. OK, OK. Or Russia. Uh, uh, Russia also, yeah, it's uh, the other story. I'm ready to uh, <laughs> speak about territorial integrity of Russia for many hours. Please, if you would have some questions, uh, ask me. I, I am ready. Because uh, I was in Chechnya last year, and uh, I regularly publish uh, articles about it. Uh, I can compare some cases. Uh, it's, it's the other story. But uh, speaking about territorial integrity, if we recognize, well, I'm ready to recognize territorial integrity of Georgia and Ukraine. but. In this way, we should take care about different parts of this country having another opinion on NATO, on European security, and so on. If Abkhazia is a part of Georgia, Abkhaz people are not ready to see NATO like guarantor of their stability, safety, and security. This is why, please, take into the account this position. People in Transnistria do the same. People in Crimea the same. It's, ne it's not necessary to differentiate uh, people uh, into some levels, level number one, class number one, and class number two, Vatniki, and so on. No. All people, all people are created equal, yes? As they put it in the uh, American Constitution. Yes, of course, great. This is why let's follow this principle. It's very important, by the way, speaking about resolution of the conflict, because in many cases we identify a resolution of the conflict like withdrawal of Russia. It's not true. The same with European security, like identification with uh, NATO enlargement, EU enlargement. Conflict resolution like Russia go away. No. Too big to fail, yeah? Too big to be ignored. Uh, this is why it's very important. And uh, last, la, last knowledge point about alternatives to Minsk and so on. I'm a historian by my education. Of course, there are alternative always. Military decision, uh, no war, no peace, uh, many, many, many alternatives. My uh, fourth uh, point of agreement with Grigori, yes, alternative exists. The problem of quality of these alternatives, consequences of their realization. Thank you so much, and uh, now I'm ready for your questions, notes.
comments. Thank you. Well, Sergey Gregory, thank you so much. You've given us an enormous amount of food for thought. Uh, Sergey, as you were talking, I was thinking, particularly as uh, you're a historian, I remember a quote, uh, there's nothing more unpredictable than Russian history. And uh, sort yeah. of the, the selective use of that uh, uh, history. And it's difficult to predict, especially the future. Exactly, indeed, indeed. Um, I know, Gregory, you, you would like to provide some response back to, uh, to Sergei's comments. Let me just, if I can throw out the moderator's uh, question, and then I'm mindful of the time, and I know we've got lots of uh, thoughts that are going to want to be expressed from the audience. Um, uh, Gregor, I, actually, I want to pull a little bit of your theory that the Minsk agreement is actually part of a larger hybrid approach. And so my theory of the crime is that, in fact, these ceasefires are designed to solidify frozen conflicts. And the West is, is actually a willing and able complicit ally in this because no one is against ceasefires. No one is against a diplomatic process. But as we've seen, not only with the Minsk process, even when there's US participation in the Geneva process with the Georgia-Russia conflict, the ceasefire lines have continued to be pushed out. No one has said a peep about those borders being uh, pushed out. We have a six plus two process for Transnistria. We have a Minsk group process for Nagorno-Karabakh. These processes are designed to uh, freeze it because there is no desire to solve it. In some ways, because the security and the resolution are inherently connected. So in fact, we have got to get ourselves out of this process and into looking at alternatives. The other comment I will have, and I heard this a little bit uh, in the latter part of the first panel. My problem, Sergei, is that we cannot have equivalency in this discussion. Russia illegally annexed and invaded another country. Full stop for all the other reasons. We have, we have made this, and the two year anniversary to me is we've created parity. And when we create parity, then we've lost our sense of what this is about. It gets back to your European security question and the Anglo-Saxon, you're absolutely right. If, if borders uh, and territorial integrity is no longer sacrosanct, we do have a very different international legal system in order. You're absolutely right, and that's a, that is a broader conversation. But if we're putting equivalency to the two parties, and this is where I think our French and German colleagues have made a fatal error in that equivalency part, and then we get back to the, the, the flaws of the agreement itself. But and absolutely welcome to disagree with my theory of the crime, uh, but I, we need to start understanding actually how these ceasefire and processy things make us feel better because it gets us out of the headlines. Deaths are reduced and we have a diplomatic process that we can all point to that's a road to nowhere. Uh, but Ukraine is actually giving us the inconvenient truth of it's actually not going away. It continues to fester itself. So that's my provocative contribution as moderator. But uh, Gregory, I'll let you have at it. I know Sergey's ready to get in and then we've got to bring our <laughs> Thank audience. Thank you. Uh, it, it was very stimulating. And I would like with the frozen conflicts. I think the important part of this frozen conflicts it's conflicts. The, po the point that you freeze doesn't mean that you solve the conflicts. And then the size matters. So with Nagorno-Karabakh also could not be and should not be put in as equivalent. The, uh, in terms of uh, proximity and the size of Ukrainian situation, right? Which is not, I don't agree with Ukrainian crisis definition. Uh, so, but the size, 
uh, the scale and the proximity of Ukraine as a country with more than 40 million to EU borders matters. So that's why there should not be any equivalent in terms of uh, uh, kind of triumphalism in terms of at least it's frozen that it's half salt. Not at all. And I think Mr. Quinn Judge also pointed out there are some talks about the potential resumption. And I, one could speculate, and there are very rumors, and the rumors are something like people sometimes pay attention, that it is not excluded, that the conflict could be, uh, again, uh, heated up uh, sometime either in May or at the time of the Olympics in Rio, so, which again brings you the whole 2008 uh, Georgia thing. But the point is, and I would like to address it from the different perspective. Uh, if uh, I studied a lot in Donetsk, which is probably uh, next to impossible, the theory of arms control. And in arms control, and the time of the disarmament or the arms control exercise, there are such things as uh, multiple independently targetable reentry vehicles. Ballistic missiles, which has one launcher, but the missiles could target various targets. So what we have, we have, if you employ this uh, comparison, we have with Donbass, and that's why it calls for a broader view, not narrow view. We have a basic pattern when something has been used and probably is going to be used to achieve the goal. The goal of Mr. Putin, I believe, it's not to get Donbass. It's not about territory. It's about creating a zone of instability that allows Russia, because of its escalation dominance, because its uh, willingness to spend political and not just political capital to maintain this zone of instability, to project this instability further. And within Ukraine, it firstly, and you mentioned the European security arrangement and the, Euro the future of Europe, basically, what we have, what is under the threat, the future of Europe. And this is something that needs to be addressed as such, not just a narrow, uh, limited to Eastern Ukraine. Because if you use this uh, comparison, then we have Syria. So it's basically the same issue. There are some immediate interests in terms of the military base, railway base there, uh, electronic intelligence base, and the Black Sea Fleet, as it was in Crimea, but the ambition is broader. The goal is broader. Therefore, even this observation calls for a much broader uh, uh, participants in the negotiating table. I commend to a very important role that Germany plays, and personally, Chancellor Merkel. And it is important to continue to play this role, especially as far as the future of sanctions are concerned. Because if sanctions could be assumption that could start rolling back, that would be self-defeating. That would not be the loss of Ukraine. It would be self-defeating for Europe, for the West. That's why the unity in maintaining these sanctions are so much important. But to continue this comparison with the action that has different uh, uh, goals. I would like to point out to the uh, points where we disagree with uh, Sergei. I'm very pleased that Sergei is a good neighbor 
uh, reciprocated with the points which I mentioned we tend to agree. But where we disagree, and I want for the clarity also mention this, Sergei seems to believe that there are much more reason for this crisis that are domestic. He talked about identity, uh, and I read attentively um, uh, many uh, articles, good quality articles written by Sergei, that Maidan apparently changed this delicate balance that the Ukrainian leadership used to keep, and that produced this response from the Eastern Ukrainian, from East Ukraine, from Donbass. I don't agree with this. Or when uh, language is mentioned as a marker or one of the uh, conflicting points. Read the most recent uh, NDI poll, and I could provide you many others. <laughs> what people consider as a major concern, 1%. Language considered as the source of their concern, even less. So it's, it's never been an issue of, for conflict that could lead to the military conflict. So this is where we disagree. It, it's not uh, so much domestic. Its major reason, root cause, is external. And as you confirmed, because when you provided, started to provide parallels with Kosovo, with Balkans, you immediately basically said that this is a, a larger pattern of the current Russian leadership positioning in the post-Cold War world. This is the issue. And the Minsk is not suitable to address this issue. Therefore, if Minsk is not a about getting peace established, but it's about getting neither war nor peace, then there is, Putin is not interested to get Minsk fulfilled because it's not his goal. It's not a peace plan to start with. Ukraine, and we heard some analysis of that, consider uh, Minsk as a poison pill that would lead to defragmentation of the country and would put an end to its existence of an independent sovereign state. And then we have a major third issue, which also we have to deal with, that's, and you rightfully put again in one of your articles, that uh, Russia is currently, is the only guarantor of the mere existence, I quote, of the Donetsk People's Republic, so-called Donetsk People's Republic, and the Lugansk People's Republic. So instead of being one of the three guarantors of Ukraine's territorial integrity and sovereignty, according to Budapest, and the largest neighbor of Ukraine, Russia now violated territorial integrity and sovereignty of Ukraine, annexing Crimea, occupying part of Donbass, and becoming a guarantor of the self-proclaimed leadership in Donetsk and Lugansk. This is the core issue. Unless this issue is not addressed, that all others are misleading, refocusing attention to the secondary issues, which would not bring a sustainable, uh, peaceful solution. Sergey, I'm going to let you unload in just a second, but I do want to get a couple of questions, and then I'm going to let you have first, at, I'm just being very mindful of the time, and then, Gregory, I'll have you have the last word. So I see Uli Speck. If you could please identify we yourself, have please. And, uh, <laughs> Germany speaking. Yes, um, yes, exactly. The German and, uh, perspective, But not please. on behalf of Germany. I just want to say, I'm with the, Ulrich Speck with the Transatlantic Academy. I think, so uh, you said uh, Russia is not party to the Minsk Agreement, Minsk II. I think through the sanctions, it is, because the sanctions have been clearly linked 
to the fulfillment of Minsk. And therefore, in, I mean, everybody assumes that Russia is party to that conflict. Otherwise, there would not be, be no sanctions on Russia linked to the Minsk agreement. Formally, it's, it's, I think, I mean, Russia is morphing in one role and the other. Um, that's one point I would like to make the other, or one question. Don't you think this, uh, it's, it's obvious that Russia is part of that uh, process agreement. Um, the, the, um, the other is, um, um, Minsk, in, in, in my view, and I'm sorry, I haven't been at, uh, with the first panel, but that's also the view in Berlin and, and, and in Brussels, I think it's, it's a process it's, which um, is open-ended. And um, it's not so much about a peace agreement, it's rather about whether both sides, which side can prevail in that process. So um, I understand that for, for Ukraine is a problem um, and it would like to see a different process, but that's the one you have. So how can you improve your position in that competition over what Minsk means? Does it mean control, Russian control of Ukraine via Donbass, via the constitutional <laughs> process, or does it mean, uh, and this is what Merkel has said again and again, Minsk is about giving Ukraine its border back. So we have two competing interpretations and what can what can Ukraine do to improve its position in this beauty contest? Thanks. Thank you. I see a question over there. Do I right back there? Yes, thank you. Uh, thank you very much. I'm Nikolai Vorobyov, Ukrainian journalist. Uh, I have a quick question about the Minsk memorandum and maybe somebody can answer this. So, uh, do you know the origins of the memorandum? Where it comes from? Uh, because we are discussing here a big issue, but where it comes from? Because according to my sources, it was written by some officers among uh, Ukrainian army and separatists to launch the ceasefire. And then just it, we, we observed the continuation. So where the Minsk memorandum comes from? That's the direct question. And uh, what's the perspectives? Then that, that's how we can determine its perspectives, because the information is quite controversial. Thank you very much. Thank you. Just wanna, oh, we have one. I'll take one more here, and then we'll turn the floor back over to Sergey and Grigori. Thank you. Hi. Thank you, uh, Justin Tomchuk, U.S. Ukraine Foundation. We all agree that Russia is intervening in Ukraine. However, the Minsk Agreement does not mention Russian responsibility at all. Is the agreement doomed as long as Russia is not held responsible for its actions? Thank you. Thank you. And this is sort of my last question, if you can weave it in. So let's, let's pull out a little bit on alternatives. So could there be a Minsk III? Could the diplomatic format be enlarged? Could there be, and, and then what would the conditions, I mean, clearly the reason that Minsk II was created because Minsk I utterly collapsed. Does Minsk II have to collapse? How does that collapse look? And then give us some visions of what uh, a potential uh, alternative. Maybe I won't even say the Minsk three. Maybe we'll get out of that rut a little bit. Talk about an alternative. So, Sergey, you've been so patient. <laughs> Let it loose. Thank you, Heather. You raised a lot of questions. Each of them requires at least series of very solid articles, maybe. Yeah, you got five couple, minutes. Couple, <laughs> couple of monographs, yeah. I have only uh, five minutes. Uh, okay, about Minsk three and uh, prospective of its appearing. If the Minsk second will be completely failed, if we will have uh, 
uh, growing violations of ceasefire, growing hostilities, uh, the question of Minsk three would be appeared, of course. As for uh, Minsk first, uh, which was collapsed, not completely, not completely, because it's necessary to especially uh, note that all sides engaged in the Minsk process and beyond of it appealed to Minsk one, even it violated a lot of times. No denials of Minsk one. This is why diplomatically, of course, it was not collapsed. It was collapsed on the ground or violated on the ground a lot of times, provoking the second Minsk. As for a uh, question about uh, from uh, where Minsk come through, uh, it's, it's necessary to differentiate the first one and the second, of course, very different, because the second, it was joint uh, idea of Moscow, France, and Berlin. As for United States, I uh, really believe that without United States, the comprehensive resolution is impossible, because this country is country number one, we can admire it, we can hate United States, but it's reality of this situation right now. And uh, even uh, United States didn't sign Minsk agreement, it will participate. It's understandable that before uh, signing second Minsk, Angela Merkel visited Washington, discussed uh, the situation and so on. Those discussions will be continued, of course. Uh, let me react on your thesis about uh, equivalency and, and, and so on and so on. You concentrate only on the fact of Russian intervention. Yes, I can uh, agree with you that it was violation of Budapest Memorandum and big agreement of 1997, ratified in 1999. But it's a part of the problem. Grigori criticized me that I stressed more on, oh, disagreed with me a little yeah. bit, a bit, a bit, uh, that I uh, stressed on the domestic dimension. In my mind, it's rather artificial to oppose uh, Domestic issues and uh, external engagement. This Ukrainian crisis cover, covers domestic issue. Of course, situation of Maidan, what, 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 what uh, did it mean in my point of view? It was a destruction of monopoly on violation in this country. It was very real. And this fact is recognized not only by me or by my Russian colleagues, but distinguished Ukrainian scholars like Sergei Kudela, he is from Lviv, by the way. He is professor of Baylor University. Problem of legitimacy of new power. As for external engagement, excuse me, I study uh, ethno-political conflicts for two decades. Every ethno-political conflict, territorial dispute, has external engagement. Be it Cyprus, Israeli-Palestine conflict, uh, Balkans, and so on, every conflict because it influences on interest of neighbors, uh, remote detectors, and so on. And coming back to the uh, question of equality of responsibilities and so on, Russia intervened Ukraine, yes, but two-thirds of Ukrainian troops deployed in the peninsula changed immediately their loyalty. It's data not of Russian sources. Then Deputy Minister of Defense of Ukraine, Mr. Polikov, confirmed this fact. Even commander-in-chief of Ukrainian navies, uh, Admiral Berezovsky, changed his loyalty. Now it's his deputy of commander-in-chief of the Russian Black Sea Fleet in Sevastopol, by the way. It's also part of the issue. Problem of loyalty, problem of identity, and so on. As for the Balkans, uh, I am repeating once again, Operation Serbian Ukraina was impossible without unilateral military consistent approach of the West. It was also attack, military attack. Kosovo was operation of NATO with no resolution of Security of Council of UN. It was also military attack with no annexation, yes. It's different. 
But it's kind of hypocrisy to see that Kosovo case was unique because of international engagement. Excuse me, international engagement is not the same as American engagement. In the case of Chinese or Indonesian engagement, maybe resolution of the Kosovo crisis will be a little bit different. International doesn't mean American. It's necessary to understand. In the case of Abkhazia, in the case of Crimea, we have also international engagement, Russian engagement. Yes, it was international. Yeah, it's because Crimea was not uh, part of Russia before 2014, the same with Abkhazia and South Ossetia. We can discuss instruments of violation of borders or a violation of uh, balance of forces. Annexation, military attack, military operation, humanitarian intervention, so on, blah, 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 and so on. But they are instruments, not principles, not basic goals. It's a discussion about hammer and nail. Hammer is good or nail is good. Yeah, maybe you can find uh, uh, problems. In my mind, the uh, annexation, of course, was a risk and is a risk for Russia. And I told about it many times. Personally, me, when I talked with uh, our guys in towers, I um, proposed uh, that time in my references some Abkhaz or Transnistrian variant in the situation, maybe recognition of Crimean People's Republic and so on, but not fact of annexation. Because personally, me, understanding a clear difference between the Caucasus and Ukraine. For the West, Ukraine is a red line. As for Caucasus, I can imagine a situation when Russia will uh, capture Tbilisi or even Baku, no reaction. I understand it. it uh, the rest will be tolerable. Now, cynically speaking, but I'm realist. I don't like to speak about values, blah, 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 and, and, and so on. I have a very uh, rich experience, field experience for 20 years. Chechnya, Karabakh, Tajikistan, I understand. We have Eurocentric agenda here. No discussion on Tajikistan. In Tajikistan, 100,000 people were killed for five years. No, no attention, no, no serious conferences about it. Maybe in the context of Afghanistan, but not like proper problem. But Ukraine, excuse me, it's a part of Europe. It's the center of Europe. This is why uh, a lot of attention to this situation. No tolerance to uh, Russian activities, especially here. But Russia did it. Now we have what we have. We can say no business as usual. Yes, great. Offer your business. New kind of business. It's, it's, it's not a serious to speak uh, than some candidates in Washington say, I am not going to speak with President Putin. OK, please don't talk with the leader of uh, nuclear power covering uh, one eighth of uh, the globe. Yes, yes, it maybe it, it's good. But it's, uh, it's, it's not a way out in this situation. It's not justification. We live in one boat, as Mikhail Gorbachev said. Yeah? We are in the same boat. It's necessary to understand it. It's necessary to understand that maybe Russian disproportionate answer or violation of, of course, I understand, I, I agree with the facts of violation, as also a result of some mistakes made by the West previously for 25 years before. It's necessary also to analyze, to make reflection of the situation. Thanks, Thank Sergei. You. Let you have the last word. We're running a little late, so uh, let you have the last word. The benediction, yes. as we say. Yeah, as a neighbor, um, and uh, Sergei referred to the uh, Soviet past. Uh, um, so I remember that in the Soviet uh, uh, football league, there are two teams from Rostov. One called Sportivny Klub Army. Ska. Uh, uh, the central uh, uh, club of army Rostov na Donu and Shakhtar Donetsk. Mm -hmm. Shakhtar uh, Donetsk. Shakhtar used to be much more successful. 
in, in terms of... In 70s and 60s, Scar was more sorry. successful. Yeah, but, but that was a, a peaceful game. The point is, now we don't have any more a peaceful game. So That's I used true. to come with my parents, my father, for a stop oblis because uh, uh, to catch uh, crayfishes. Mm -hmm. Very pleasant trips, uh, all that. But I never expected that from the other side, from Rostov or others, tanks will come to my Donetsk. So this is, I think, the, the point which uh, makes, could not make me very uh, impartial. But so I want to just share observation from our past. Uh, and I believe that we all uh, share a piece. The alternatives. I think we uh, try, and at least it would be logical, and I appreciate uh, pointing out that the practical arrangement that we have so far is Minsk. There is no others. While there were some attention, uh, uh, attempts to involve, and it showed futile efforts to involve uh, a positive role of such international organization like the United Nations, for example, or others. But Minsk is so far. So what can we extract from Minsk? The first thing I mentioned, want to repeat. I think the important, beneficial for all, and first of all, to limit, if not to end, uh, uh, human losses, to concentrate on the security conditions. In full, it was a very, very open mind and forthcoming position as far as the international verification and monitoring is concerned. That requires uninterrupted access of the OEC, while I agree, and Russian colleagues frequently called OEC a vegetarian organization, but still a full uninterrupted access to the observers, 525 now from this vegetarian organization, if it's vegetarian, why to be scared? So then uh, to all the parts of this territory that Ukrainian government vegetarian, does not control. Vegetarian, not vegan organization. Uh, and, and also to the, the border. I think this is an important, which we should push, all parties should push for the Minsk to deliver. Second, uh, and the question was about Minsk memorandum, but this memorandum is 2014. Minsk Accords, which we are talking about now, Minsk II is about 2015. And in 2015, uh, the Minsk Accords were accompanied by declaration. And this is the only document where we have the authorities of four presidents, France, Germany, Russia, and Ukraine. And there is one line in this declaration that could show uh, a direction to move. And I quote, this is declaration on the 12th of February, when those four presidents stated their commitment, quote, to undertake all possible individual and joint measures for a peaceful settlement and reaffirm their full respect for Ukraine's sovereignty and territorial integrity. Yeah. So it gives you an idea of what plus could be, either on individual basis or joint measures. So Minsk is not straight jacket. If we consider Minsk as a straight jacket, we are currently will become, continue to be a hostages or something which is not implementable by definition because it was not meant to be implemented because the goal was diff uh, uh, different. So then we could come to the next, and I'm afraid that we do not have time anymore to talk about this, what this plus could be or beyond Minsk. I believe there is life beyond Minsk. <laughs> And we should keep calm and also love something that beyond Minsk, not just Minsk. Uh, last but not least, I think the 
was with all due respect, and Sergei, as an academician, could allow himself to be uh, uh, within the strongly realist school of thought. I am, as a chairman of the Human Rights Committee of Ukrainian Parliament, cannot allow uh, uh, be uh, like that. So that's why what we are facing now, we are facing now an ongoing uh, a humanitarian catastrophe in the center of Europe, as you said. Ukraine is, belongs to Europe. So and this is one yet more argument that has to be addressed. And the straitjacket of Minsk is not sufficient to address this issue. Yes, it is required, and I refer now to your, the question what Ukraine side could do more. Ukraine side could do more to be much more consistent, efficient, as far as the issue of the internally displaced persons are concerned. This is 1.7, this official figures, one could doubt this, but this is an issue. And those people, they didn't leave Donbass when their houses were shelled uh, to uh, go to other countries. They left for Ukraine. So the loyalty of these people, they believe in the future of Ukraine, something that the responsible government should address in a responsible manner. This is not the case yet. The other things that uh, uh, has to be delivered, this is, uh, again, goes beyond Minsk, but I cannot but agree with those in the first panel who said that successful Ukraine, or more successful Ukraine than it is now, so would be a major game changer in terms of perception. Because if it continue like that, we are running the risk to strengthen the fuel perception of Ukraine that states that is not just underperforming, but going along this line to become a failed state, which is not in the interest of anybody, including Russia. And I respect very much also a very clear point in terms of uh, um, when Sergei mentioned uh, Russia intervened, yes. And he said, but I would put it Russia intervened, yes, full stop. Then we, if this is the case, and I think the major challenge for all us, and again, within the Minsk arrangement, it's, it's, it's necessary but not sufficient. We have to try to be responsible and to implement, um, extract what is possible from Minsk, but also to consider what else needs to be done. In the near-term future, conditions sine qua non, not to allow this situation to become hot, are the following. Concentration on the security package with much more openness and responsibility in terms of the international observers and monitors to verify all the elements of this security package. Second, continuation of the sanctions, which is an important not just because of the efficiency of this diplomatic instrument, but for the unity uh, within the Europe and between the Europe and the United States. And third element of that, which is also uh, uh, important, to uh, overcome the current stalemate inside Ukraine in terms of its own internal domestic political uh, uh, situation. The current status quo does not equal stability. It becomes more and more counterproductive. So if we will resume this dynamics internal from Ukraine, change in status quo through a democratic political process, Ukraine will be much more uh, uh, viable and dynamic uh, partner in Minsk or other arrangements, broader arrangements, to solve the conflict. 
Gregory, Sergei, you have given us an enormously rich uh, discussion. I think we have a plan, an alternative, a Minsk and beyond, which I'm sure our next panel can tackle. But please join me in thanking Gregory and uh, Sergei for a great conversation. Thank you. you guys, were great. Thank you. Just